That's um, that's pretty comprehensive, though. I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, to kind of get back a little bit on um, what's going on, guys. We've got Dr. Pizzona back. Um, we're so excited to interview him the first time. He's a urologist. And we talked about all things urology last time. Well, this time, we're going to talk about testosterone replacement therapy. And if you're a consistent viewer of ours, you know that we've kind of been diving into this topic. It's... Um, it's kind of stigmatized. It's kind of all over the place. There's a lot of information that is really misinformation. And so we're trying to get really good quality health professionals to come out and talk about testosterone replacement therapy, what it is, um, and just why you, maybe you might be a candidate for it, why you might not be, um, and then maybe potential side effects, benefits, anything that, um, that we can get behind. And so we've got a lot of questions from our viewers today, and Dr. P is going to help us answer these great questions. So thanks for coming on again, Dr. P. We really appreciate your time, and we're really excited to, to talk about TRT with you. Absolutely. I appreciate uh, coming back on and certainly very passionate about this subject. So I'm really excited today. All right. That's awesome. So let's dive right in and just get right to it. So when you're as a urologist and a, a men's health advocate, I'm sure you see a lot of patients that come in maybe with the symptom, the symptoms of TRT or uh, needing TRT. But what age group usually is the most affected uh, by low T, low testosterone? And um, how do you kind of start that conversation and assessment with them? Yeah, that's a great question. So like a lot of uh, male issues, certainly the incidence increases with age, but I've diagnosed legitimate low testosterone in guys in their 20s. And really the best way to do this is with a thorough health assessment. So when patients come and see me in my office, uh, regardless of their age, they are gonna fill out about a 20 question um, survey that really screens for low T. It asks about fatigue, weight gain, brain fog or memory issues, sexual dysfunction, and then just sort of general health issues. It's incredible how many, um, how many things are misdiagnosed when really someone has a hormone imbalance. So I think the best way is to just ask guys. And then obviously, you know, these are things that are affecting all of us, you know, who hasn't been tired during COVID, you know, who hasn't put on a couple extra pounds and gone, whew, this is a little bit harder to get off. So, and now not every guy has a hormone imbalance, uh, but it's, it's really important to ask and screen for it and then move forward with a blood draw. Okay, so then what kind of information would you say the blood draw would tell you uh, as a healthcare professional that maybe the average person doesn't understand? What's the point of that? Yeah, so what we wanna do is we wanna check uh, several different uh, lab tests. Uh, first and foremost is the total testosterone level. And we can dive into this a little bit more um, uh, in a little bit, but we're also going to check uh, what's called the free testosterone. So not all testosterone that is produced or is floating around in the blood is available for use. Think of it like uh, having a bank account with all these assets. Uh, let's say you've got a thousand dollars in there, but then you go to withdraw the cash and they go, well, you can only take out 200. 
because a lot of it is tied up and what ties up testosterone are different proteins. Uh, the two most common ones being albumin as well as sex hormone binding globulin, fancy doctor term for the protein that binds the sex hormone testosterone. So those are the three key ones that we're checking um, plus some ancillary ones, depending upon how much of a deep dive we have to do. That's good. So for patients who are, you know, possibly having some of these symptoms and these side effects you talked about, are there any uh, precipitating factors? And then for our viewers, precipitating factors really tends to kind of be like what markers you may have either from your family or yourself that could help contribute to this. So for regular patients, are there like genetic markers for it? Are there, um, you know, other diseases, comorbidities that they may have that may contribute to the need for TRT? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So I'm not personally aware of any genetic disorders per se that are common enough for the for most of your listeners to have to concern themselves about. So we're going less genetic and we're going more. Uh, it's typically lifestyle or it's typically some other underlying medical issue. So, you know, less common medical issues might be a a pituitary tumor, you know, right behind the eye is a little pituitary gland and it secretes a lot of hormones. And a few of those hormones stimulate the testicles to make testosterone. So if you had a tumor there, that may be malfunctioning. Um, medications at times can affect hormone levels. Uh, but most commonly, uh, this is either uh, lifestyle driven. So obesity, excess alcohol, marijuana use, inactivity, um, and or it's really just a, a menopause. Uh, and men, menopause in men or andropause or male menopause is a real thing. And we're not sure why it happens to some men more than others. It's just not talked about as much. Because for a woman, you know, this is a pivotal event that we all know about. A woman at some point stops menstruating and we say, oh, your hormone levels went down, you're in menopause. Whereas men, we just kind of go, oh, uh, dad keeps putting on five, 10 pounds, energy's going down, he's always taking naps. Well, he's gone through a menopause too. We just don't have those same uh, physiologic uh, markers that are, that are symptoms otherwise that would uh, bring up that attention, and it's just not talked about as much. Um, so in, in most cases, uh, to most directly answer your question, we don't find a root cause. Uh, it's, it's typically lifestyle, or again, the, the testicles and the pituitary just get tired, and you need some replacement. So you um, talked a little bit about it doesn't get talked about enough, and we kind of discussed it off camera for a second before we were, while we were prepping, prepping for the show. But the stigma behind the frequent naps and the low energy level and the really lack of testosterone seems like something that a lot of guys don't really want to talk about. And as you know, that's kind of what we're here for is mm -hmm. to talk about the things that guys don't want to talk about to build up some comfort level. Would you say that the steroid era in baseball, bodybuilding, um, and just overall maybe overexposure to testosterone or the discussion of it where it became like, oh, those guys are roid raging or look at those ball players with uh, their, their jack, like, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in 98 kind of thing. <laughs> um, not to call anybody out. They were doing what was okay at the time, but. Uh, oh, they were some thick boys back then. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely were. But um, do you think that, that the, the way that has kind of been brought on 
just with pop culture and society has kind of created a little bit of a stigma there? Yeah, absolutely. Now, as, uh, as someone who lived in Chicago in the 90s and got to see Sosa hit some bombs uh, out of Wrigley, uh, I certainly it was a fun time to watch baseball, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> certainly did not do justice to men's health. No. So I think there's two main uh, reasons why there's a stigmatism with uh, testosterone replacement therapy and the male menopause. Number one is the steroid era in baseball and athletics. And, and let's be clear, people, anabolic steroids are very different than what you would receive when you come into a board certified specialist and receive testosterone replacement therapy. Um, anabolic steroids are a combination of various steroids. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll fully admit I was doing a little prep for the interview as well and trying to review this, the steroid pathway and any of the physicians out there will remember it's pretty darn complex. And oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a family of hormones and a family of steroids. It's not just one. And the problem is when you t inject or take oral anabolic steroids, it's a very unpredictable metabolism or breakdown pathway. And that therefore can lead to um, liver dysfunction, uh, the roid rage that you see, uh, heart disease, heart attacks. There's a reason these guys are dying young because they, they put stuff in their body that led to a cascade of events and metabolites that we couldn't control. Whereas when you come in and see someone uh, like myself, we're going to put you on very specific therapy and monitor things, and we'll get into the safety profile later. So that's one thing is, is the, the, that stigmatism. I think the second is that we're starting to see the commercialization of men's health. Um, you can't turn on the TV these days and not see an ad for for Roman or Hims, get your Viagra pills. Uh, I'm here in Nashville. There's all these low T centers everywhere. And, you know, I may be a bit biased and listen, we need more exposure for men's health. I, I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo what these guys are doing. And I think it's good. They're increasing awareness. The problem is they've got these cookie cutter approaches and it's, it's a business and their business is hand guys injectable testosterone, make them come into your clinic each week, follow your algorithm and that's it. And I, I think that also does a disservice. It turns people off and that although, uh, as some of your listeners know from our previous podcast on telehealth, I'm all about direct to consumer healthcare, but it's got to be done in an ethical fashion and can't primarily be about the business. And I don't think those places are truly doing everything they could do to improve uh, the lifestyle of these men. So uh, you're spot on that unfortunately these, these factors cause fewer and fewer men to come see people like myself to get holistic full body care that they need for their, uh, for their aging body. Yeah, I'm going really, to step oh, off ahead, topic Cam. real quick. Um, step off topic real fast. So you talked about the algorithm. So being, you know, we all kind of have a medication and medical background to some level here. Um, so we understand the algorithms pretty well when it comes to common um, conditions like diabetes, um, hypertension, things like that. Uh, so one second. So, uh, oh, so for the testosterone replacement therapy, we don't know an exact algorithm for that. We don't have that. We didn't get that education for that. Uh, so knowing how, especially how some insurances kind of put placements on it where they do want it step-by-step, step, 
what does your your practice your clinic what was that do they do do they do differently that allows it to kind of flow in the algorithm are there like same level for the modalities for the algorithm or are you kind of jumping steps um, based on patient to patient yeah, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you'd like to kind of know what we're doing differently compared to a bit of a cookie cutter approach or, or what our approach is. And uh, I think the, the, the shortest and the most accurate answer is it's very individualized. When a man comes in and sees uh, me for low T concerns and we check levels, we have a detailed discussion about what I believe are kind of the three different pillars of, of getting these guys feeling better. First and foremost, it are lifestyle factors. I don't care how much testosterone I give you. If you're going to sit on the couch, you're going to put sugar in your body. You're going to stay up all night playing video games and sleep five hours and lead a stressful life. I can't help you. And all the testosterone in the world is not going to help get you thin and get that six pack back. So it's got to start with addressing those lifestyle issues. And I really want buy-in from, from my patients. If they're not going to do the work, we're not going to prescribe the testosterone. Now, I certainly realize that when your T levels are low, you don't feel like doing much and you need a little bit of that sort of boost, but you got to put the work in. I think the second thing that we do that's a bit differently is we look at natural testosterone boosters uh, from both a lifestyle perspective as well as a supplement perspective. Because some guys are not quite ready to take that leap into testosterone replacement therapy, especially if there's fertility concerns, um, any potential family history of heart disease or prostate cancer. And again, we can get into that a little bit, but they may be a bit hesitant. And there are natural ways to boost the levels. And then lastly, it's the three different forms of testosterone, the gels, the injections, and the pellets. And uh, again, we can get into that in a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't say there's some exact algorithm with each of those. I tell guys, it's a lot of trial and error. And I'm all about quality of life and, and doing an assessment at the beginning and saying, what's your goal? What are you trying to get out of this? Uh, are, are we trying to lose 50 pounds? Are we trying to have unreasonable expectations in, in the bedroom? I mean, I got some guy who's was, uh, you know, in, in his 30s, came in and saw me. And he's like, man, you know, it used to be twice a day, five, six days a week with my old girlfriend. And, you know, now it's only once. And I'm like, pump the brakes here, bro. Like, <laughs> uh, good for you. <laughs> good for your girlfriend, but <laughs> dot, 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 uh, testosterone's not your answer. Um, very different than discussion than the guy who's sitting at a T level of 200 and, uh, is really working hard at his diet and exercise and can't lose those pounds. So it, it, uh, it very much comes down to what are their goals addressing all those three main pillars. And then it's, it's a relationship and a collaboration. It's not as simple as, you know, take the juice. I'll see you later. Come on back. But unfortunately that's what a lot of people do. Right. right. I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit with you. When you say you have someone that might come in and they have an unrealistic expectation of maybe now being a sex God, right. Uh, or getting back to what they were when they were 18 years old. And I, I think something that's really important to discuss is that we see so many advertisements for Viagra, Blue Chews, uh, Sildenafil, Cialis, 
the list goes on and on. And those may help with blood flow, but not necessarily to help with desire and libido. And that's where a lot of your testosterone uh, really helps come into play where you're saying, okay, my, now the desire to uh, have sex and um, be with your partner, but it also maybe the mental side of it, like maybe it's partner driven. Um, maybe it's some other insecurity that's going on in someone else's life driven. So I think you being the, the prescriber and the doctor, you really have to get down to what's really causing this. Is it a testosterone, libido? Is it partner? Is it, are you, are you just bored? Like, you know, with the regular old good old fashioned, I don't know, like whatever the case may be, but I'm sure you really have to do a lot of digging with your, with your patients slash clients to find out what is the root cause and give that holistic treatment. Is that, is that correct? You hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Uh, you know, guys come in and they just kind of go, I, I got some problems down there <laughs> and it's like, okay, do you mean your penis? <laughs> we can say that we're all adults. Um, but it, yeah, it's, so it's really important. So let's just start at the top. It starts with libido, which starts up here. And absolutely, you need to have adequate testosterone levels to have a adequate libido. Now, that being said, I've got some patients who are hypersexual with testosterone levels in the three to 400 range, which is kind of low normal. And then I've got guys sitting with testosterone levels seven, 800, and they're like, man, my libido's down. So you're exactly right, Patrick, that it also comes into play. What's the relationship like? How much sleep are they getting? Are they watching too much porn and desensitized? I mean, there's a lot of real deep digging you have to do to sort through that. Then you come down to the actual erection, how firm your penis gets and how uh, your ability to maintain that rigidity. And that also comes down to three different factors. Uh, you mentioned blood flow, which is the most common cause of erectile dysfunction. You also need adequate nerve function, which can get damaged from diabetes, having your prostate removed or any sort of trauma or insult to the pelvic region. But you do also need adequate testosterone levels. So it is all of those factors that play a role. And it's not uncommon for a gentleman to come see me with some sexual dysfunction. We start him on some testosterone, comes back a month later, his levels look great. And he goes, it ain't working. I go, well, what are you talking about? Ah, my erections aren't working. I said, okay, let's, let's back up. Let's remember. Remember when I told you that you're smoking, your diabetes, your hypertension, your hypercholesterolemia, you, you don't have blood flow. So all, again, all the testosterone in the world is not going to lead to, to good erections. And then lastly, you kind of have the end result, the orgasm and the ejaculation those are actually two separate events. Orgasms 100% in our head. And there are some guys who orgasm quickly, and there's some guys who have trouble orgasming. And, you know, we can do some things to manipulate that, but not a lot. Uh, and then obviously the, the shooting out of the fluid, which is again, a separate issue from all of it. And we take it for granted that when all is working, we tie all these things together, but we're dealing with four different physiologies that are occurring. And when you have a pathophysiology or an abnormality, I have to do a deep dive and sort through well, what, what can testosterone help and what can it help? Kind of the, the patient end of it, 
and the them kind of saying, well, this isn't working. You know, first of all, we've I think we've said it on this podcast a hundred times, smoking's really bad, but um, something else that we've been diving into a little bit on the podcast is porn. Um, we had a, a gentleman on named Bill. He, he's been on uh, once as well, and he's very like, how much porn is ruining the mental stimulation of guys. And uh, it kind of came up to me because I have a couple nurse friends here in Tampa that are saying they've got guys in their late 20, mid to late 20s coming in with ED. And the root cause of a lot of this is that overstimulation and the hyper hyper stimulation due to porn. Um, have you seen this in your practice lately? Is this, is this a growing issue like we think it is? Or um, do you have any other answers behind that? Yeah, I, I can't say I see a lot of it in my practice. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, I imagine a lot of those guys are probably doing those online pharmacies and just getting the, the little blue pill mailed to their house. But taking off my doctor hat and just speaking as you know, a guy living in the 21st century, uh, yeah, it's a problem. Uh, there's no doubt uh, in articles I've read and just talking anecdotally to people, you know, I think uh, this generation has a very unrealistic expectation of what sex is supposed to look like. Uh, you know, back in the day when I when I was going through this phase uh, many many years ago before cell phones, if you can believe that, you know, you kind of fumbled around with relationships. You had to talk to a partner, and you didn't have any guidance other than the occasional playboy you got your hands on or you know that one movie the fraternity had that every guy watched uh, <laughs> um hope my kids aren't listening um but uh, absolutely if, if you're watching all this and you see it 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 it, it makes it seem as if that's normal you know it, it is not normal to have sex for 40 minutes it's not normal to have that aggression and do all of, all of those things. And so if you're going into, I can't imagine myself, if I dial back the years at age 20, we're in the shoes of a 20 year old today. If that's what I were exposed to, boy, I, I'd be a, a hot mess, you know, and I understand why this is a growing problem. So um, certainly see it occasionally, but absolutely agree that, it, that it's a growing issue. Right. Yeah, it was. It's been something that's that's kind of continued to come up with different interviews and um, just different people that we've talked with online. Is and and even friends I know here in Tampa, like we're giving ED drugs to guys in their twenties because the unrealistic expectation, and then also kind of it compounds. If you like, not to get too off topic on the porn, but if you watch one kind of porn and then you become desensitized to that, you look for more and more aggressive, hardcore things which really at the end of the day, like the average girl probably is not going to engage in. No. Um, or guy, like any partner, whatever. But it just, it seems like it's, it gets so overblown and so there's just so much of it. Like, I mean, the internet is littered with porn that I think um, the easy access to get this becomes really desensitizing to guys. And then again, the unrealistic expectations Absolutely. This is, uh, I mean, listen, we can all go off on all the, all the bad things about the porn industry. Um, this is something that probably doesn't get enough attention, uh, but is a growing problem, uh, you know, in, in young folks these days. Yeah. Well, let's kind of move on a little bit, <laughs> kind of hit that, hit that a few times, but um, 
So what would you say that you see as far as you get a patient to come in, you realize that they're a candidate for testosterone replacement therapy? If you don't mind giving our viewers a good um, laboratory value of what you look for in low, uh, no, uh, within normal limits, and then also high testosterone. And then also once you start administering that kind of that therapy, uh, what do you see? How, how do you, would you say that a, a good response to that would be? What kind of benefit would your patient get? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. And uh, just to be clear, there are no real great guidelines. And so what I'm about to say is going to be more my opinion, rather than anything suggested. Uh, but if we if we take a step back and look, when when we order a testosterone panel, and you look at the total testosterone range, it's from 250 uh, to the, my lab 827. And what I joke about with the patient is say, anytime you see a range of a blood test that big, you should know we have no idea what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just don't because I, what I will tell you is when guys come in with T levels, a 800, they look and feel a whole lot different than a guy with a T level of 300, but 90, eight plus percent of my colleagues will look at both patients and go, ah, your T level's fine. Don't worry about it. You don't need anything. And that's a disservice. Um, it also is um, really a, a too simplistic of a way to look at it. So our testosterone levels, they vary by the hour. Okay. They peak, they peak in the morning, they drift down in the afternoon. Um, there's a daily a physiologic change to testosterone. Um, testosterone changes with age, you know, you may feel pretty darn good as a 60 year old with a T level of 500. If you're a 30 year old, you may feel crummy with a T level of 500. So the unfortunate thing is that the insurance companies and most medical societies set a cutoff of 250 to 300. And if you go see most of those traditional uh, pr practitioners, if you're above it, you're labeled okay. If you're below it, they'll give you a little bit. And that's really a disservice because if you really look at the data and, um, you know, really the pros and cons, you know, the argument you get is, well, TRT is dangerous. Okay. Where's the data? The American uh, College of Cardiology came out with a statement in 2019 that actually said, low testosterone is dangerous and causes heart disease. And as a urologist, I know that because we treat men with advanced prostate cancer with agents that lower the testosterone to what we call castration levels. We lower it to zero. And guess what? It shrinks the prostate cancer, but those guys die of heart attacks. And we've known that for 50 years. And if you look at the all the studies, not just one study that gets sensationalized, look at all the studies. Uh, there have been a number of papers and societies that have come out that says there is no definitive evidence to suggest that responsible testosterone replacement therapy causes heart attacks or heart disease. Um, you know, uh, this goes along with that myth of uh, testosterone makes your blood too thick and that leads to heart disease. No, testosterone causes you to have more red blood cells, a, a physiologic cause. 
go move to Denver and you'll get more red blood cells as well because you're living at altitude. Heart attacks are caused because of atherosclerosis, sticky platelets and inflammation. So that's my main counter argument to people who are worried about giving a guy with quote unquote normal T levels testosterone. I think the other one is about prostate cancer. And again, this is a big myth. They've come out with a series of studies and, and said there is no definitive evidence that testosterone replacement causes prostate cancer. I, in fact, have men who've had prostate cancer and I safely have on testosterone replacement therapy. And guess what? They're still cancer free. So that's, that's uh, I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important for the viewers to understand that all of this is so complex. So when, when you ask, well, at what T level do I treat and why versus what someone else says, it's, it goes into these pros and cons of it. So I will discuss testosterone replacement therapy to anybody who's symptomatic and, you know, has levels below six, 700. You know, if someone's coming in at six, 700, and again, I do a deep dive and they're really just want to be more hypersexual. If they have unreasonable expectations, I have a hard time thinking that getting their levels up a couple hundred points is going to help them. Um, but certainly there are plenty of guys sitting in the three, 400, 500 range who you bump up to the 900 to 1100 range. They feel better. They lose weight. They get better sleep. They have a crisper mind. Um, so many benefits to the therapy. Um, so there's no one number. Again, it goes back to that holistic approach um, for there. And then one last point I want to make sure I make on this topic. You also have to look at their free testosterone level. As we talked about earlier, you can have a lot of money, but if you don't have much liquidity, you're not buying very much. So if a lot of that testosterone is bound by these uh, proteins, um, you could have a normal total T level, but your free T is low. And so again, we're going to try and boost you up to get you in that mid to high normal free range and, and get you feeling better. So it's part numbers, but more importantly than the numbers, it's looking at the patient, it's doing that deep dive setting those expectations and then following them. Are we meeting our goals? Yes, great, let's continue, let's watch things closely. We're not meeting our goals, let's back off. That's a good point. Um, so the big question everybody always has about any kind of you know therapy, medication, things like that. So you got a patient that comes in or any of our viewers who might be interested or considering you know talking to somebody about this, what side effects do patients experience? And you know, you have, always have like the movie, the Hollywood testicle shrinkage thing. Typically, we, you know, you hear about with the anabolic stuff. Is that something that can alarm some patients at times or what can they expect? Yeah, that, that's excellent because I don't want to make testosterone replacement therapy seem as if there are no downsides. There definitely are. So most men will experience about a 20 to 25% reduction in uh, testicle volume. And the reason is that, again, the brain is sort of the center of most of our hormones. And if the brain's getting a signal on replacement therapy that your T levels are, are high enough, they go, all right, testicles, take a nap. And they go, all right, I will. And they, and they shrink because uh, they're no longer getting that stimulation from the brain. Um, now, you ask most guys and, and or their partners, nobody notices or cares, but for guys do need to know about that. Um, 
Some guys uh, will notice uh, a worsening of sleep apnea. So another big men's health issue is, is snoring and not sleeping well. And testosterone replacement therapy can worsen that. It can lead to some fluid retention and hypertension. This does not happen to everybody. I'll often put a guy on a, on a gentle diuretic like a hydrochlorothiazide at a low dose and titrate them up as necessary. Uh, it can absolutely cause acne, uh, especially if you're prone to as a teenager. You may have more oily skin. Although most men will actually report less irritability uh, and not be that sort of roid rage. There are some guys, if you get them too high, will definitely get antsy and hypersexual. Uh, and I certainly have had some guys go, Ooh, I needed to back off. Uh, I was chasing my wife a little bit too much and she was not having it. So, um, <laughs> Uh, and then also if you get high enough levels too, you can, you can induce hair loss. You know, if you, if you push too much of the testosterone toward the DHT pathway, uh, you can cause an androgenic hair loss. So those are some of the more common side effects, but I'll be honest, I tend to see more of those in women than I do men. Most men feel more balanced and do pretty, pretty well with it. And it's more a matter of them stopping it because, it wasn't the root cause of their fatigue. It wasn't the root cause of their ED, um, but it's typically not uh, having a real bad side effect. Us guys can really tolerate a large range of testosterone and you gotta be really, really high to start seeing more of those uh, androgenic side effects. Right. The, um, the irritability thing is kind of a very common, I mean, we live in Florida. This is probably one of the testosterone replacement therapy capitals of the world. There's um, a lot of retirees. Yeah, a lot of the uh, male health clinic, but definitely more so on the um, superficial end of it. Like, do you want to be 50 and overly jacked kind of deal? Mm -hmm. um, you want to be 50 with a huge dong? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work, my friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> if but it they, did, uh, every guy would be on it. <laughs> right. That's like kind of the stuff that we like realistically we hear plugged. I mean, this is Florida. There's a ton of uh, that kind of, um, there's billboards on the highway for it. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere here. And so that's kind of another reason why we kind of wanted to, uh, really dive into this because there's a lot of those myths that are like, oh, you're going to be a whole new person. And kind of, we've heard what you said. There definitely are benefits, but, um, there's also risk. And I think that's a lot of medicine. You always weigh out the risk benefit in every patient because, of patient response. And then again, lifestyle. Um, the irritability was something I kind of want to discuss with you because it's like, if you're depressed, if you're not getting good sleep, if you're not eating right and you're gaining weight, I think that would cause anyone to be irritable, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and this is again, where you do this holistic sort of approach to it. Uh, there's no doubt if you have low testosterone, you may have more uh, irritability, depression, weight gain, which again, perpetuates things. But um, they've, they've done some studies, men who are chronically sleep deprived have testosterone levels that are on average equivalent with a man who's 10 years older than them. Put another way, wow. if you don't sleep, you're, you're aging yourself 10 years from a hormone perspective. Ooh. Obesity is absolutely linked to low testosterone. The more uh, uh, peripheral fat that we have in our body, 
our, uh, our fat cells aromatize the testosterone, fancy doctor term for turning it into estrogen, the female hormone. So again, lowering your effective testosterone levels. Um, and then obviously diet goes without saying that that's going to affect everything. Um, high sugar intake, uh, all the, all the crap and chemicals we're putting in our body by not eating whole nutritious foods. So you've got to address these things uh, because it, it's regardless of your T level, it's hard to feel good if you're not sleeping well, not moving your body and not putting good things in there. You mentioned a little bit about the aromatization of testosterone. And um, I did a little bit of work in a compounding pharmacy that was just pumping out hormone replacement therapy for guys and girls, just a ton of it. And I learned, actually learned a lot just by filling prescriptions there. There's a lot of co-medications that are prescribed with testosterone. Um, anastrozole was one of the big ones that we saw. Uh, can you give our viewers a little bit of the reasoning why uh, there is co-prescription that comes with uh, testosterone? What are the ones that you frequently see? So they might be a little bit more educated when, um, if they do seek TRT uh, therapy, um, they might see, you know, why would they see these extra drugs on, on their prescription pad? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it goes back to, again, that three pillar approach of understanding. It's not as simple as raise T levels and all goes well. Uh, the, again, the testosterone metabolization pathway is very complex. Testosterone is a steroid, one of many steroids along with estrogen. And you want to try and cause the testosterone to go towards a more favorable metabolism. So you have a better balance and optimization of all of the metabolites, knowing that you can't always get it perfect. You mentioned anastrozole, which is an aromatase inhibitor. In other words, you prevent that aromatization to estrogen. I see it a lot in men's health clinics and patients who come to me from there. I don't prescribe it very often. I tend to like to go a more natural way with this um, and use something called DIM, D-I-M. It's a long, fancy uh, chemical compound uh, that I won't try and butcher. Uh, but think of it as this is the compound that makes broccoli, kale, and cauliflower healthy. And there's a lot of research in DIM on two fronts. Um, First and foremost, actually, uh, anti-tumorigenic or as an anti-cancer uh, metabolite. Makes sense. You eat healthy, you don't get cancer. Uh, DIM might be one of the reasons. And there's a lot of animal and cell culture models showing this. Um, but the second thing that DIM does is really push the testosterone toward a more favorable estrogen pathway. There's actually good estrogens and bad estrogens just to really simplify it for everybody. And DIM helps to push it toward the good pathway and better balance your testosterone to estrogen levels. So I tend to use a lot of DIM, which is a over-the-counter supplement uh, that you can get at a Whole Foods or, or we sell it as well through our office. Um, but yes, there's a lot of natural testosterone boosters, aromata aromatase inhibitors, a lot of different co-prescriptions. And, you know, patients need to understand what they take. And again, there's many ways to skin a cat. Um, I try and take a very personalized approach and go stepwise rather than throw six new things on one of our patients. 
we start with the testosterone, we see how they're doing. And then based on whatever side effects they're feeling or results, we'll then start adding in some boosters and tweak some things. All right, that's um, really comprehensive and we definitely appreciate that. And so uh, a couple minutes ago, we talked about different dosage forms. You have injections, you have orals, you have the, uh, the capsule which uh, I've been familiar with for about a year. Just, I, I know some, some guys in my life that uh, are on the capsule. Um, so can you talk a little bit about those dosage forms, maybe the risk benefits that come with each dosage form? Because uh, definitely are. Um, and any, any type of professional knowledge that you can provide for us for that? Sure. You know, I, I think it's very important that patients understand the different ways to get testosterone. So starting with oral, traditionally up until the past, I believe several months, um, any oral testosterone would have been an anabolic steroid, would not have been a safe method of taking testosterone. I believe in the recent months, uh, and I apologize, I don't know the name, there has been FDA approval of a safe oral testosterone uh, medication, have yet to prescribe it. And the reason is that the oral steroids, uh, we believe, are what was causing a lot of liver disease and liver damage in those anabolic users. So for all intensive purposes at the moment, let's uh, table any oral option. So uh, the first one I discuss with patients are injections. This is going to be your most common go-to uh, due to uh, uh, cost. It's the least expensive option. Um, it is uh, typically the go-to part of the cookie cutter algorithm, a lot of these men's health clinics, because they can, again, it's a lot easier to say, give this specific dose and then go up or down, follow our, our recipe versus uh, some of the other therapies. The injections are nice because it's a nice way to dip your toes in the water with something and see if it's going to help pretty darn quickly because you'll get the levels uh, up. Now, um, in terms of frequency, I see a lot of underdosing with this. Uh, some doctors are going to give a testosterone injection once a month or once every two weeks. And uh, it's like peeing in the ocean, to use a, an analogy from a urologist. You're just not you're not getting the levels uh, up high enough for a long enough period of time. So most of my patients will do a once a week dosing with the injections or even a twice a week because the main downside to the injections are these peaks and valleys. You feel really good for a couple of days and then it comes down. And so by the time you're hitting that six, five, six, seven day mark, you, you don't feel the effects anymore. Um, but it's inexpensive and, and it works. Second are topicals, typically a gel or a foam, uh, both prescription as well as compounding pharmacies. And this is something that a patient does every day. Um, so rather than get those ups and downs and get more consistent dosing, the other benefits obvious that you don't need needles. Um, the downside is it tends to be a little bit pricier, even if you have insurance coverage for this, uh, as well as about 50% of guys just don't seem to really uh, observe or sorry, absorb the medicine through their skin. So I've got some patients who love the topical and others, we can't ever get their T levels up because it just doesn't get absorbed. 
And then the last option is pellet therapy. This is about a five minute procedure I do in, uh, do in the office where uh, in the upper buttock area, after injecting some local anesthesia, make a tiny little skin poke, use a trocar to tunnel underneath kind of the meaty part of the butt and create a space to drop in anywhere from eight to 12 testosterone pellets. This is sort of a set it and forget it therapy because for four to five months, a guy's just riding this, gets up here, rides this nice wave, comes down at about four or five months, starts noticing his symptoms come back and we do another pellet insertion. So what's nice about this is you get more consistent levels, your body metabolizes the testosterone at whatever rate they need. And that tends to lead to fewer side effects as well. The main downside is that it's rare for insurance to cover pellets. If they do, the pellet, they, the dosage of the pellet they will uh, allow is typically inadequate. So most of our patients are paying cash to get these bioidentical pellets placed. Um, so again, injections, topicals, and pellets. And I really let my patients choose. I just go through those pros and cons like I just did with you and ultimately let them pick the best therapy. A quick follow-up for the pellets, because it just kind of, question just kind of hit me here. For the procedure, um, I guess a twofold question here. One, is there like, additional pain the patient might feel afterwards? And is the site reusable, or do you have to make a new site for each pellet insertion? Yeah, th those are great questions. So most guys have a pretty speedy recovery. Now, that being said, we're men. Uh, you know, we end up in the ICU if we have a, have the flu. Uh, so I certainly have some guys who, you know, complain about being sore for more than a week or so. But most guys, it's a couple days. I tell them to take it easy from exercise for up to about a week, uh, but usually not too bad. Um, you can certainly see the scar when we go ahead and do our second pellet insertion. We tend to rotate butt cheeks. Um, I haven't been doing it long enough in any given patient, but certainly if uh, you just keep going back and forth year after year, you will develop some, you know, some scar tissue, but it's of subcutaneous fat. Um, so, you know, it's an area most people are not going to see uh, whether or not you make an, uh, the exact same skin poke or not, usually not too big of a deal. So it's not technically a difficult procedure and it's typically pretty well, um, you know, pretty well received in a quick recovery. That's good to hear. So how would, um, what, what would be the safest way you have a patient, they come in, they've, you know, chosen their preferred method of delivery of the testosterone. Um, what is the safest way for them to maybe initiate that therapy? You said a lot of monitoring parameters are involved. And then also what if they realize that maybe the TRT isn't for them? Is there a safe way to taper off or dis discontinue therapy? Yeah, so to take your second question first, Patrick, you can absolutely just stop the therapy. There's no, uh, unlike say a steroid or uh, that we think of like a prednisone or that we have to taper, otherwise there's a bad withdrawal. You don't have to worry about that. Most guys who are going to try this and then stop it in the short term, their testicles will bounce back relatively quickly to their previous inadequate baseline levels um, as, as I tell guys. Um, so it, that's usually not too much of an issue. In terms of monitoring, um, most of the monitoring happens uh, more closely. We, we certainly monitor throughout therapy, but we're a bit more um, 
we're, we're a bit more hyper-focused until we really get this dialed in. So by that, I mean, I'm going to check a repeat testosterone level typically within about four weeks of starting any of these therapies. Bring the patient back. How are you feeling? Are we meeting your goals? Are you starting to feel some improvement? Uh, and then again, based on what we were hoping to uh, obtain and where they are, we make a decision. Is this worth continuing? Or is this an issue of the levels are inadequate and we need to get you a higher dose? Are you too high and we need to dial back? Does your blood work show any alarming signs? Certainly the rare patient can get some elevation of uh, liver function tests, uh, you know, uh, can have too high of estrogen levels and we need to tweak that. So we take a look at, at, at those levels. We make our adjustments. And then we also, again, dive into the two other pillars. Are you taking your supplements or is there room to add some supplements to further accentuate things? And are you hitting the, the diet, the exercise, the sleep and the mindfulness um, and coming together? And then once we get someone really kind of where they need to be, we'll check labs anywhere from every three to six months. I try to do it as infrequently as we need to, and certainly depends on, you know, the age of the gentleman. Um, you know, if I'm more worried about his PSA blood test for prostate cancer screening, I might keep a closer eye on that lab test. If a gentleman's got some heart disease, I may not, you know, um, you know tolerate certain lab parameters or let him get too high, because it, although I said earlier, we don't have any evidence that it definitively causes things. You know, your listeners need to also know, we also don't have any definitive evidence that we might be harming someone. You know, there's so many things in medicine that used to be standard of care and now we found are dangerous. And things we used to think were dangerous were actually very healthy. So, you know, uh, medicine changes rapidly. So I, I don't like guys sitting with total testosterone levels above 2000, you know, uh, I, I think that's unreasonable, but I also think it's unreasonable to let a guy suffer with levels of three, 400 and tell him he's okay. And that's normal. Well, yeah, with any medication too high of a level, I mean, you have your, you know, for the pharmacy nerds out there, if your Vanco dosing is way too high, um, you're risking renal impairment, things like that. And, uh, we know with testosterone, if your T level is too high, you're experiencing those side effects, potentially the gynecomastia, the roid rage, the small testo uh, testicles, um, all those major side effects that you hear about are generally from the T level that is probably way too high. And that's really when you're dealing with a lot of medications. I mean, if you inject too much insulin, you're going to get hypoglycemic or uh, low blood sugar. Um, so it's really comes with, it's, it seems like in, in all the people that we talk to about TRT, it really kind of becomes an art to manage your patient and to give them the optimal response with minimal side effect. Very, very well put. It's all about balance. You know, I, I call this, you know, we're not treating, I, I don't look at it as I'm treating low T, I'm, I'm delivering hormone optimization with the patient. We want it optimal. And uh, on, the on the flip side of being too low, you can be too high. And I certainly get these guys, I, you know, I call them the tweakers. You know, they want to really push that envelope and get up high. And that's that, like you said, that 65-year-old guy who is just jacked. And it's like, man, I don't know if that's safe for you. 
I, I really don't. But I also know that if you're sitting at three, 400, I'm going to make you feel a whole heck of a lot better and probably get off some weight, which is a good thing and probably protect your heart. So it, it's all about optimal. When, um, when you're dealing with patients and you notice that they're on TRT, I mean, is there a, a limit to testosterone replacement therapy? I mean, if you started in your forties, can you run it till you're 80? Um, is there a, a contraindicated age, uh, either being too young or too old that you've seen in your experience as, uh, as in, in practice? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fantastic question. Uh, on the too young phase, uh, certainly a lot of young guys don't realize that you can permanently affect your fertility. Uh, if you get on TRT and you're on it long enough, uh, a lot of, a lot of these places are not counseling these guys. They come and see me and they go, I, I didn't know that. So I'm very, very cautious when guys are younger, haven't had kids and are interested. Um, I'm also very cautious again, when these young guys come in with real unrealistic expectations and want something that is super physiologic with a, with a, for an outcome, because, if you're on this long enough, the testicles will not kick, kick back up and you are, st you are stuck on it. And, you know, the, the, the good Lord uh, built us all better than we can recreate ourselves uh, medically. And so if your normal physiology is, is working and you're more dealing with uh, an unrealistic expectation, we got to be very cautious on uh, the other end of the spectrum with the elderly there's not a set age at which you would say stop this per se. Certainly if a man developed aggressive prostate cancer, we're not going to put him on uh, testosterone replacement therapy while he's being treated for that. Uh, I think that'd be quite foolish. You know, if you're dealing with somebody who is really sick, you know, who's got some heart disease and lots of risk factors, you know, we, we all know those patients come with a laundry list of medicines. I'm going to be a bit more hesitant even ever starting that guy on testosterone, um, because we certainly don't know in those high risk cardiac patients, maybe they're the subset who we could be harming. And if you look at some of those studies that were done out of the VA, that may explain why testosterone replacement therapy showed a higher cardiovascular mor mortality uh, in, in that particular population. It's because it's a VA population and we all know how sick those patients can be. So we have to be mindful. I don't think there's any strict guidelines. It's again, that sort of the art of medicine uh, that when, when, when you two crazy kids get out there in the real world and start practicing, you know, you'll, you'll start developing those skills and just being like, ah, I just don't think this is right for this patient. Oh yeah. And going on the patient population thing too, I'm actually the VA population myself. Um, and I'm actually on a rotation at the VA for the clinics as well. And most of the patients that you do see, yeah, they're older. They are on a huge list of medications. They have almost every comorbidity you can have. And they're really stubborn. And they don't want to kind of go along with your guidance. They always want that quick, easy fix. And you're trying to explain them how they're supposed to do things for this to work appropriately. And they do want to fight. So, yeah, that, that kind of going back to what you talking about before, where the patient has to really want to work for it. And they also need to be realistically the right patient, you know, stability-wise, at least for it. Um, big part of this, um, really any kind of care, honestly, but big part of testosterone replacement mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely Cameron. So, um, as we wind down a little bit, is there anything that we missed, uh, in, in your professional experience? Um, I know we're, uh, 
couple of pharmacy students just trying to kind of pursue a dream of getting guys educated and empowered. Uh, anything about TRT that, that you'd like to let our viewers know? No, I mean, I think this was fantastic, guys. Uh, you asked some great questions. I think we hit all the highlights. Um, uh, as you can tell, uh, I'm very passionate about this and have, have, you know, you guys got my typical spiel if you came into the office to come see me to talk about things. So, you know, what I'd encourage people to do is, number one, um, empower yourself get good education. I love what you guys are doing, getting all this out there. We're in the information age. Now the problem is how do we sort through all that information? Um, I'll certainly uh, put in a plug uh, our website. I have a lot of blog articles on this for anyone who's interested in doing a, a deep dive. Uh, and I'm sure you could put that in the show notes at uh, pizonamd.com. And, uh, you know, fi find a doc who is really experienced in this, you know, I'd caution you about going to that quick fix low T center. Um, but I also get why you go there because most of my colleagues just dismiss you if your testosterone levels 400 and you're feeling crappy. Um, but there's, there's plenty of Joe Pizzonas out there. There's a lot of good people doing this ethically um, who are smart, who really understand this and can responsibly get you feeling better. Uh, and if you're really struggling, you know what? Nashville's the bachelorette capital of the city. Come visit me. Um, we'll talk about some testosterone and you have a fun weekend. So It's hard to have low T in, in Nashville. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so um, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Where can our viewers find you? Uh, what are your social media outlets, website? What kind of uh, services do you provide? Um, anything that you want to let that let the people know, essentially? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think for this topic, uh, you could, again, just head to my website. It's uh, P-A-Z-O-N-A. MD is in medicaldoctor.com and have a bunch of blog articles. And we certainly focus in our, in our practice here on quality of life issues for men, uh, low T, ED, BPH, uh, vasectomies, really helping guys get a better quality of life. Uh, we're on Instagram at Pizona MD. And, uh, you know, depending upon what state you live in, I might be able to even do a telemedicine visit, which I know we covered in our last, uh, our last uh, get together. And that would just be at uh, myvirtuecare.com. Uh, that's V-I-R-T-U care.com. And uh, that's our urology telemedicine company. We're really trying to get uh, specialists uh, in the homes of patients because you deserve access to expert care and you shouldn't be stuck with whoever's near you geographically or in, in or out of your insurance network. Uh, we do all cash payments. So that's awesome, Dr. P. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy. Um, I was like kind of excited to hear you were at some little league games today. I used to coach baseball in a form of life. So uh, I know all the rigors that go into that on the parent coach player side. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time out to discuss TRT and uh, all that good stuff that comes along with it. Have a great day. Yeah, yeah. you too. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.